James. Hey, Duncan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's been too long since podcasts. Yeah, it feels like a lot has happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're like, Trump is a human dump. Like, he, he somehow got worse. Um, like, he just consistently got worse. I, I, I Initially, when he got in, I was hoping that it was some act. Like, you know, when he was running for president and that he would somehow be presidential when he got in. But he wasn't. And then, I don't know about you, but it was like, yes, there were ups and downs, but it kind of got consistently worse and towards the end. And, and, and just like, like unbelievable. Anyways, um, yeah. yeah. Well, just quickly for me, like first, never underestimate uh, what an animal do when it's backed in a corner. And I think Trump psychologically felt like he had backed himself in a corner by the end there. Yeah. Um, but the second thing is like things happen gradually and then they happen suddenly. And um, <laughs> like there was a, there was a beautiful... Um, Beautiful. I don't know if that's the right word, but a beautiful piece written about how, um, you know, like Hitler <laughs> rose to power, uh, but then like subsequently, you know, got drunk on his own power and then went, um, you know, quite mad by the end there. And it was kind of just similar thing. For, well, at least they, they found a lot of parallels with Trump because as soon as he was in this powerful position and it was like, it's not like he got to the White House and was like, oh, now I can do this and this and this and I can exploit that. It was like a toddler. It's like, I'm going to push this and see what happened. Oh, nothing happened. I can do that. I'm going to push this and nothing happened. And it was just like this experimented, experimented approach where he realized like I could do just about whatever I want. And so by the time, uh, you know, uh, January rolled around, I'm pretty sure he was like, well, I'm just going to <laughs> say that everything was stolen and that we're going to take this back by force because everything else seemed to have gone my way so far. So let's just see where the, the, the limit is. And I think he found it in the end. Enough about Trump. Let's move on to what this topic is about. Um, so on the seriousness of life uh, was, a, was a, a article that James shared. Um, and I thought that it was kind of nice to maybe talk about it differently. Um, one way I have for life is, is breaking things, a one lens into three different areas. One, you should have purpose, five days of purpose, one day of play, and one day of peace. Um, and my sort of definitions for purpose are one, or one definition, find a way to make the world better, um, then take on responsibility to do some making of that better, then get meaning slash purpose, and then get happiness. So happiness comes at the end of it, right? And what I think is interesting is that of the purpose done well, you should be get happy. Of the play done well, you should get happy. And of the peace done well, you should get happy too. But they're all three different kinds of happy. Um, so purpose in some respects is responsibility times fun equals happy. Play is no responsibility times fun equals happy. And peace is just doing nothing. And at the end of it, if you're able to successfully do nothing, then you're left with this calm and this kind of like contemplative but like mindful peaceful, happy, if that makes sense. It's a totally different kind of happy. So this I didn't understand at all, I don't know, five years ago. Um, I didn't really get the value of play or, or peace. I, I liked them, but I didn't know that they were valuable in and of themselves. Mm. So like, I think what I find helpful about this, this mental model that you piece together, it seems to me like you're trying to figure out what does it mean to have an enjoyable life? Um, because, you know, you can have words like fun and play and... Um, any other kind of, you know, verb to try and describe what one should be doing. But at the end of the day, it almost um, plays into this semblance of, well, you know, I've got this time on earth that's very limited. How am I going to maximize um, my enjoyment of this time that I've been given? And I think the way in which it's been approached, so like, you know, if you've got purpose figured out first, then you can start to think about ways of integrating play and peace on top of that like it seems like a, li a life of just play is just i don't know if it's just hedonism or just meaningless hedonism and a life of just peace is just laziness <laughs> or, or um you know spending time up in the in the himalayas uh you know for your entire life but this this helped me um i think well, it helped provide some structure to like well if you want to have an enjoyable life You've got to figure out what your purpose is first because then that will make you feel like it's got meaning. And then once you have that meaning, it's important not to forget, well, okay, but there's more to it than that. Now you can have play and peace on top of that as well. Yeah, so I used to think that I need to figure out what job I wanted to do uh, or something. Am I going to be a doctor or a teacher or, or something, right? Uh, and now I feel like that the best questions in life can never be answered. 
Um, so what does it mean to live a good life? What are the common good are two of the sort of big ones philosophers talk about? And so to me, I don't think you can figure out your purpose in life. Um, it, it's like an evolving thing. Uh, I used to. Uh, and But to me, I think different things require different kinds of time commitment, right? So jobs, I think, of more like a two-year rolling commitment. So if you're getting into a job and you're like, oh, I could change my mind next week, I probably don't think that's the right level of time commitment, right? So two years, I think, is enough time for you to make a good on the bargain of the people employing you to give value, but then you're not somehow meant to work there for the rest of your life. If you're having a kid, I reckon it's a 25-year commitment, right? If you're thinking <laughs> two years, I'd be like, uh, probably shouldn't be doing this, right? And dinner, like someone asked me to some weird restaurant. I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? You know, it's like a 20-minute commitment if it's really that bad. I'll just sit there and not eat, and then I'll get another dinner after. And so to me, I think just on that point, just maybe to get it's like purpose, I think, is, is hopefully something that I have or people have in their lives, but not all hours of every day. For me, five days a week, you know, two days, no. But the, 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 what that is is shifted, and I hope will continue to shift. Uh, and so this is just a shift from where I was. Because, again, I thought you needed to figure it out. And now I, I realize, oh, I like to believe I'm a work in progress and will always be a work in progress. Mm. I, I think that that's, that's an interesting uh, like way to look at it. It's like how do we um, measure the level of commitment that we have towards something? Like, you know, firstly, we are, like, immensely fortunate to be in this day and age in a position where we can say, I'll join company X, but hey, it's only for two years. Like I can then think about what my options are uh, and there's you know, an absolute abundance of options. You know, should you be competent enough? Uh, <laughs> but like you can think about this in all of the different aspects that are like highly impactful for life. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that it, would, it would be familiar for anyone to have heard the saying, like, it's not as if marriage is forever. <laughs> it's because mm. like 10, 20 years ago, a marriage was considered unilaterally as a commitment for life. Like to divorce would be an act of like you know, dread, like would be considered deeply shameful. Whereas in today's world, it seems to have shifted more to well, you are acting on your own personal liberty to move towards something that actually gives you um, more enjoyment out of life. So if you are in a marriage that is not working out for you, it would probably be considered in everyone's best interest to end that. And this goes all the way down to your idea about like, well, if you're at a restaurant and you've given it a good 20 minutes and you're not enjoying it, then you can just move on. Um, so I think it's it's really, really profound to think like, well, if you're not enjoying something, how committed to you are to, uh, to that particular activity? Yeah, I just think it's worth picking up on one of James's points. Like um, the shape of the world has changed significantly. So 200 years ago or 400 years ago, I don't know about, there were 200 to 400 years ago, there were 200 jobs in Western Europe, right? Now there's more than half a million and growing. For the longest time, if you, you know, 9% of us were farmers, and if you did what your parents did, so if your parents happened to be a stonemason, you were a stonemason, right? Um, there were no new jobs. Now, it's physically not possible to do what your parents did because the job's gone, right? <laughs> so James <laughs> says we've got the opportunity to do a new job. Also, you have to do a new job, right? It's not like you can sit there doing, doing the same thing. I personally like that. Um, but it, it, it kind of means that I suppose you can't rest on your laurels and just kind of, you know, do the same sort of little thing. Um, and so to me, that means more opportunity to do new things and a life where what you're doing can change and grow. So again, to me, the best questions can never be answered. What does it mean to live a good life? What is the common good? I like that. That's not a fault. That's a bug. That's not a bug. That's, that's a, that's a <laughs> chance, right? Um, but also James said that, you know, w weddings. So in colonial times, which is the 1700s, the average wedding marriage today lasts longer than in the 1700s. The difference is we live a lot longer, like 30 years longer, right? Even than, say, America or, or the UK, like developed world or whatever. Um, so divorce then is a replacement for death. You used to die, you know? You basically spend as much of your time looking at your kids and they maybe got to their 20s and it's conk. Now you can see your kids live to their 60s, right? And so to me, I believe that, you know, there's many parts of marriage, but I think one of the core components was like a commitment to work together to raise children, Right? And that all else equal, two people better than one person, right? Uh, but it depends on who they are, but, you know, some, some might be a piece of poo. Um, and that when the children raising bit's done, that, that to me is the main part of what a relationship is. I think a lot of people are, oh, with this person that will complete my life. I'm like, nah, it's ridiculous. That you would spend all as much, like, I don't want to spend more than two to four hours a week with anybody, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody should with me. And you should have diverse relationships. Sitting on the couch next to someone watching Netflix isn't that. So I think it's really interesting. People say, oh, yeah, divorce has gone up. We'll live longer. 
and the commitment of working together to raise children when it's done doesn't longer make sense to stay together for a lot of people from my perspective. Mm. Mm. And there's like the, the, the way, the dimensions you can look at that are just like multiplicit. With marriage, like in colonial time, it was much more like being overly journalistic here, but it was much more transactional and tied to survival than it would be considered in modern times, which is more, you know, of a romantic aspect, right? So like, you know, when you were, when we were a um, an agrarian society, marriage was considered to um, foster a family that could provide off the land. Whereas today, well, because we have an abundant society, it's now considered, well, I want to have a romantic partner for life. So you don't have the same, you know, first of all, you don't have the same model that um, considered that, um, predicates the relationship, but it, you don't have the same motivation or, or system that keeps this in place. So it's no longer as serious as having um, a lifelong partner 300 odd years ago. And it seems like if we don't, I guess, wake up to that fact, it could be one of the reasons why it's just leading to a deteriorating relationship. Yeah. I think shifting gears slightly to get back to sort of where we're talking about, um, on the seriousness of life, so, so I think, I like this sort of lens. Uh, so different lenses show you show you things, but also give you blind spots and ego distortion. So I think, uh, you know, Charlie Munger, a lattice work of, of models is a, a good way to navigate life. A lattice work of lenses, a lens is a model of type. So one lens, five days a week of purpose, one day a week of play, one day a week of peace. But I think that they all end in, in happiness in, in some form. And so mm. purpose, happiness is a fourth order outcome. First, Find a way to make the world better. Take on some responsibility to change it. Get meaning and purpose. Get happiness. That's the fourth one, right? And for me, making the world better shifts, if that makes sense. Like, like how you think about it should grow. Like, the, as in improving your quality or sophistication, right? Not, not a sort of static thing. Um, play, to me, is, or, or purpose is responsibility times fun. Play is no responsibility times fun. Like, you go surfing or you just, you know, you have a laugh with your mates or something. So that's first order happiness, right? It's literally the first order sort of thing. And then peace, I think, is second order happiness. So th- th- just doing nothing is, is to me now the ultimate luxury. <laughs> Whereas when I was younger, <laughs> it was called boredom and like, getting FOMO. Now it's called seriously like, oh, my God. And, and if you just sit, maybe this is like, you know, what people call enlightenment in some respects. And you're able to not have like the worries of life on you or, or you know, FOMO is when I was 20 or now it's like, oh my God, the business or, or something, right? What you're left with if you don't worry about anything is calm and then this kind of bliss. And so I, my, one articulation to me of enlightenment from, as in, in a Buddhist sense is being able to let go of everything and just sit. And that when you do this, you're in this blissful calm that is a happiness of some sort. And that's second order happiness. So I, I like this, that purpose is happiness fourth order. Play is happiness first order. Peace is happiness second order. And they're all different types of happiness. I wrote names for them. First one, purpose is serious happiness. Play is silly happiness. And peace is solemn happiness. I didn't want the S's in there. And that it's a nice sort of thing for a different way around it. Thoughts on that, yeah. Jamesy? Well, there's a, I mean, there are a lot of um, formulas in there, so I'm going to try and um, you know, get, get them right when I, when I dissect them. But then I just wanted to... I'll put like, them in the show notes. Um, the um, description or whatever, the podcast notes, yeah. But I, I thought it would be helpful to first distinguish, though, while um, going through your breakdown, happiness being a fourth order outcome, mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go through the first three stages in order to get to happiness. Um, so what I mean by that is that you can be living your purpose. So to use your model, like you can be spending your five days a week, you know, working on your mission and your purpose, but be very happy doing it. You can be playing on you know day six and be very happy doing that, and then you can be um, resting or um, you know meditating on on the seventh day, and then find happiness in um, contentment. Yeah, so that. it's not so about I, where you get it the whole yeah. way through. I think done well, yeah. purpose is providing you happiness the whole time, mm. but it, not from like the first thing you're doing. It's, so, so it's kind of like where does it come from, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so to me, they're different types of happiness. And I, I think that this is because I think chasing happiness in some respects is the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. Uh, and and doesn't this happen? And so to me, any happiness that money can buy is fleeting, typically. Uh, and, and so the best things in life, I think, chocolate. get better because you make them better. Chocolate, excluding chocolate. You know, <laughs> just get me some pill which makes me not an obese, heart attack human. Uh, but like, um, 
the best things but in life I've, get better because you make them better, right? Yeah, and they can I get be- better infinitely, like work, like friendships, like knowledge. And so to me, those are sustainable sources of happiness. Uh, as in, but you need to work on them. They don't like to spit out happiness. You need to put time into it, right? You need to mm. purpose, you know? And so it's really interesting. To me, um, money can help in some places, like if you're starving to death or if you've got no roof over your head, but money can't help in others. Sustainable mm. happiness, mm. as an example. Mm. Well, like um, for me, I think it's important, while it's, not, it's nothing new, I still think it's important to distinguish that um, for a lot of people, I, I believe, still think of, life of the game of I just need to get through you know the first five days of the week then I can do the things that I enjoy then I can be happy right you know it's still a, a very prevalent um, uh, cliche that people dread Mondays so you think about only if how... you don't like your job <laughs> yeah well that's what I mean right yeah so but like, most people don't and so that's a problem yeah that is a problem and so it shouldn't be that someone thinks well the key to happiness is like you know, to spend five days a week of my life doing something that does not bring me any enjoyment to only live for the two days and whatever holidays I get. So I think like that's an important, um, you know, stepping stone. So it might be that they don't have a true sense of purpose or it might be that they have um, or, or one can um, comp- like not just compromise, but uh, try and reconcile with, well, I'm just going to do something shitty for five days that I can do whatever <laughs> I want for two days. <laughs> but uh, 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 even like, yeah, to me, um, I believe um, that if you don't like what you're doing, it's very unlikely you're going to be good at it. Now, there are cases like Andre Agassi or something with tennis, etc. But all else equal, I think it's better to like what you're doing and mm. that the chance of you being good at it is higher. And so I don't think you need to compromise necessarily, sell your soul so that you can then have your two days of fun or you can retire early. I think the opposite is actually a better path. Try to find something you enjoy, do it well, then get paid lots, as opposed to try to find something that gets paid lots and bore like yourself through it. So why do we think, like, I think we can all, at least the majority of people can agree that, you know, an enjoyable life is something that we would all like to attain, but it seems like it's a very hard thing to achieve and breaking it down in a simple way helps, but it seems to me that there's a lot that people are still that that you know that we are all still missing and i and i don't know i don't know if it's because we compromise ourselves by saying like well you know i'm seeing what society is telling me and that is like you know start a family buy a house and now you've locked yourself in or if it's the other side of the spectrum which is to just you know to pursue you know (laughs) earthly um pursuits and not actually think about what would be an enjoyable and meaningful life in the long term. I mean, one lens that we almost always talk about is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So let's do it again. <laughs> um, if, if you've come from like a war-torn country and you then, I don't know, get to, you know, as a refugee or whatever, emigrate to a country that isn't war-torn, typically those people um, are almost happy for the rest of their lives uh, because they've had such a bad set of circumstances where there's, for instance, worry about you know their safety, worry about food, worry about roof over their head, and they come to a first world country and they don't have that. They've got a strong social safety net. And it lasts the rest of their life, right? Even 30 years later or 40 years later, whatever, they'll be still thanking their lucky stars that they, they didn't get stuck in that civil war, right? Mm. Um, but if you're born in Australia, you kind of take it for granted, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> and so effectively... Um, the things at the bottom, uh, I don't know, enough food, shelter, safety, uh, things which once they're above a sufficient level, people take for granted. Like we don't need more. More food is more of a problem than uh, too much food is more a problem than not enough food. Um, and so, so those things there, I think, are kind of one-off solvable things where money can help a lot. The top parts, esteem, so self-belief, self-actualization, problem-solving, transcendence, helping others are places where I think money helps significantly less. So to me, those ones are the places where I believe you can actually get sustainable happiness that you give to yourself. So for instance, your ability to problem solve and help make the world better is not something that ever, I think, necessarily is done. Just like I've got enough food. Like I don't need more food, you know, sort of thing. And I've got a, whatever, a house. You know, I don't need two houses uh, or something, right? Yeah. Um, And so the shape of what, is done to help with the different levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs change significantly. And so uh, transcendence, I think, would be most associated with or self-actualization transcendence in meaning, right? And so they say there's a crisis of meaning now. 
And I think that's because slowly as a society or as a, as a humanity, we've gone up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We no longer, you're a thousand times more likely to kill yourself and be killed by somebody. Too much food is more of a problem than not enough food, right? That didn't used to be the case. And now we get to worry about, do I have meaning? What's the person? Is he forced? Like, is somebody trying to kill me? <laughs> Am I going to starve to death? <laughs> um, and so we're now left with a new problem. Um, and I think society doesn't do a very good job of helping people understand how to think about esteem, self-actualization, transcendence. Um, and that for a lot of people, that's a much bigger problem than not enough food. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I think um, I, I think you're tapping into something very, very prevalent in uh, where we get confused, I think, a lot of the time. And if we're going to talk about Maslow's hierarchy, then we're going to have to talk about Jordan Peterson as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, th- I thought he said it well enough when the way he observes, you know, people today is that we seem to have come through, you know, uh, you know, America as a as an example has come through a lot over the last two hundred years, but it's been largely predicated on freedoms and rights. Like we got to make sure that we have our rights as individuals, we have our rights as society, and we have the freedom to, um, you know, to pursue our own happiness. But it seems like something has shifted in the last, you know, 10, 10 to 20 years where that now no longer seems to be the core driving motivator and it's, and people have, I guess, lost sight of that. And so what Jordan Peterson is saying is that we now, we got our rights and freedoms more or less under control. What we need now is a sense of um, responsibility and meaning because that's what I think people don't realize they're missing. And so what he talks about with the social justice warrior movement, um, the feminist movement, all these kind of things, without a, a, a core grounding in meaning or with, in responsibility, they're just going, they're just turning the dial up on how they can have more rights and have more freedom from what they consider to be oppression. Yeah. I think he's conflating two things. Um, respect to Peterson and seems to be back on his feet, had a bit of a rough period last year. To me, um, and this is a massive oversimplification, um, the US is the best worst country on earth. Um, the best of it is, I think, the best on earth, and the worst of it is some of the worst of a developed country on earth. Um, and they've got a lot of self-inflicted, unnecessary wounds. Mm. So as an example, I think systemic inequality is a much bigger issue than systemic racism. I'm not saying there isn't racism. And I feel like 100 years ago that racism was a massive problem, that the percentage of the problem that's racism has been slowly declining, and the percentage of the problem that systemic inequality has been slowly increasing. So mm. as an example, their minimum wage, in my opinion, is on a um, living wage so that you can work full time, you're still in poverty, you can't afford to pay for rent, you can't afford to pay for food. Mm. Whereas in places like Europe or Australia, the minimum wage is a living wage. And so if you're still working full time and you're you're not able to, then you turn to things like crime, right? And so to me, who are the people that are poor? Well, how about some slaves that were brought over there and then when they were emancipated, were given no property and then were put into a poverty trap called a minimum wage that's not a living wage so that all generations are born stuck in there, right? Whereas in places like Europe or Australia, the minimum wage is a living wage. And so the ability to get off your ass and to get things to happen is higher. So if you look at the mobility of people in the bottom 20% of income in America, it's lower than it is in Canada, you know, Europe, Australia. And it's, from my perspective, an entirely self-inflicted wound, which means there's much higher crime, much higher ghettoization of their cities and other things. And if they were lifting the wage, they'd have a better outcome on society overall. I think Peterson, and there are people that protest against this, and say, for instance, they should lift the minimum wage. I think they should. Should they, you know, defund police? No, just like they shouldn't defund the government. You know, Margistan and Wokistan are sort of, in some respects, mirror images of each other. And so to me, I believe people saying that they should lift the minimum wage makes sense. As an example, I think we're protesting for abortion makes sense because some silly teenagers get, you know, pregnant and don't want to have a child. Well, guess which child has a bad upbringing? The parents that don't want to have it, you know? Um, and does that mean it's going to have a good outcome? Okay, so I think people protesting against that, which is part of the woke left, and then conflating that with saying you need to take responsibility for your own life uh, is a giant step. Do you think you should have responsibility in certain areas? Yes. Does that mean that you don't think that we should have an increased minimum wage and that you know, voting for an increased minimum wage, which is sort of left, somehow are the same things that you need to take more responsibility for your own life? No. So I think him conflating those things, which I think he does, which I think you just pointed out, is, in my opinion, counterproductive. Um, they, they've both got valid points. That he sees someone that says that is bad is, is I think, a, a large stretch. Well, I think it's probably more myself who's doing the conflation than Jordan Peterson is because I probably haven't um, outlined it in a very um, 
well articulated manner. But um, and there's no discounting the fact that there are, are all of those problems that you laid out still, you know, happening at a very very large degree. Um, and I think if you are still at that bottom layer of your of the hierarchy where you're still trying to figure out how you're going to get food on your table, how you're going to have, keep a roof over your head, how you're going to be able to just basically survive and keep yourself in a safe environment, then that's definitely one thing to contend with. And I think um, what we can get into <coughs> in just a minute is why there is still this idea of, or you know, why life needs to have seriousness in it. But once you get beyond that, once I think you have safety and security, um, you know, almost kind of like taken care of in your life. Like, does it help? Maybe it's a question. Does it help to, to continue to be as serious as one is when they're trying to just, um, you know, fundamentally survive in today's world? Now, you can be serious for others who are not surviving. Fair enough. But maybe when it's come to your own life and putting together your own you know, plans for the future, does it require the same level of seriousness? Hmm. So, so I think, as an example, um, that the abortion rights in America don't make sense, and that, that means that a lot of children are born which parents that don't want them will not have the means to look after them, and that doesn't lead to good outcomes. I think that the minimum wage, which in some places is $9, is not enough to be a living wage. Um, and this has a whole lot of second-order outcomes where people can't afford to pay for food, roof over their head, food in their mouth, etc., and that they then are more likely to turn to crime because this is the only way that they can, can possibly get out of being in poverty, right? So... Those things are important, and I do think that there are a number of self-inflicted wounds that America has, which they could, I believe, address, um, and that if people like Murdoch left them alone, that they'd be having a higher chance of doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but assuming that the, the, there are places with, I think, a better functioning system, so I think most other liberal democracies have a better functioning system for the people at the bottom of the income spectrum in America. Uh, like, I, I honestly think... Like, well, does Canada? Yes, in my opinion. Does the UK? Yes, in my opinion. Does Germany? Yes, in my opinion. Does Spain? Yes, in my opinion. Does Australia? Yes, in my opinion. Does Singapore? Yes, in my opinion. Like, almost everyone, for the people at the bottom, has a better functioning system than America. And I don't see any reason why they have to have that. But let's just get rid of all of that for a second. You said, on the need for seriousness. And, and I, I liked that. So to me, part of my self-esteem is that I believe I'm able to help others. Right, And I believe mm -hmm. that I've found a way to make the world better, for instance, improving education, and that I'm all those equal helping make it better, but it'll never be done. And that that seriousness actually leads to happiness, which is this mm -hmm. purpose, right? The seriousness has allowed me to have esteem because I feel you know, validation in myself that I'm helping. Not sort of that I needed external validation, but doing nothing, just sitting around is, is, a, perp is, a, res is a recipe for listlessness is you know for meanings mm. and mm. so to me seriousness doesn't not mean you can smile doesn't mean you, sh you can't have happiness in it. it's a different kind of happiness which i'm calling serious happiness so do mm. i enjoy my work not every minute of it some of it is seriously stressful <laughs> but all else equal i don't want to retire that sounds like honestly hell <laughs> like <laughs> you know what you know summer holidays for the rest of my life no way like only if you hated your job and so i suppose I didn't know growing up that you could like your job. I thought it was just a tax you paid so that you could have income, so that you weren't homeless. Not something that, you know, if you had your sort of needs, needs met, you would choose to do. So I don't ever plan to retire. Um, the only reason I would is if I hated the jobs, not because mm. of this. And so to me, five days a week working, yes, done right. Not seven days. You know, I'm mm. working too many hours at the moment. So there <laughs> is a need for seriousness, I think, if you talk about it as a path to purpose, which done well is a path to serious happiness. Yeah. So really interesting thing that I, the two things I want to try and talk about. So I'll just try and do one at a time. But the first one yeah. you made me think of was um, uh, one, of, one of my favorite things that I, I love to hate about Duncan's mental models is <laughs> X, X done well, X done poorly. Right, so you know you can. But most put, things is that the case, and people yeah. oversimplify, and it really kills me. So, so now I'm, um, I love to hate it because I also find it useful. Mm. <laughs> so, what James not... is trying to say is that I'm right and he's wrong. There you go. You saw him eating humble pie just then. <laughs> uh, well, it not you, Duncan, that there's no ideas or there's, there's truth, and then there's ideas. Is it is this not just simply an idea, and ideas can't be right or wrong? I think what you're saying is that you thought the idea was bad. 
that uh, she had uh, whatever anyway it's gone yeah. <laughs> anyway we, we, uh, so, okay so let's lay this on top of seriousness there's seriousness done well and there's seriously done poorly or badly yes. um yeah. so i think seriously done badly is yeah is, or seriousness done badly is one that is born out of fear uh, and is as a means for control maybe when it's not necessary but a, a seriousness done well is one that brings focus one that helps you like i think move through the world in a way that will be a tool towards achieving whatever your goals are right if you were just purely flippant and like you know joking around you probably wouldn't get much done but there might be a level of seriousness that you can apply to say like i need to now focus on the task at hand or the goal that i've set for myself so that i can get it done now you can do that in a fun way but the seriousness here is about applying focus what are your thoughts mm. yeah so um look again just taking maslow's hierarchy of need i think if you don't have any self-belief or self-esteem it's it's probably going to be hard to have a good life, but you, you might be happy or else equal that you're not in a civil war where there's genocide being committed, and so you're just happy because of that, right? Yeah. And, and I think one path to you know, having a roof of your head and food in your mouth is earning money, right? But you might only do it because of that, and that if you could have enough money to not work, you'd stop, right? But I believe seriousness, which aka is you know serious happiness, find a way to make the world better, take a responsibility to get the change, get many people to get happiness. Is one path done well towards esteem, self-belief, towards self-actualization, towards growing yourself in a way that has mm. meaning, that has helping and transcendence towards helping others. Mm. So to me, um, again, I just literally the standard story, you know, find a hot wife, have kids and be rich. Right. <laughs> um, and I didn't yeah. know that work could be um, something that was fun. Like, uh, you know, because I didn't find school fun. Uh, I was like, I'm doing the maths and the whatever science because I know that if I get higher grades here, it's more likely that I get a better job that pays more and I don't want to be poor, you know? Um, and so that was, the, that was the game I was told. Um, and so to me, I think there can be a need for seriousness and you need to look for it. And again, I think we're very, very lucky that, I don't know, we're not born at the bottom of the income scale in America, which is a poverty trap in a lot of respects to me. I'd much rather be born poor in Australia or, or the UK, or, you know, than, than America. Mm. Um, and, but so that I did not know the need for seriousness. That was not something that I did not know as a hierarchy of needs. So I finished university, right? I didn't know that jobs could be fun. And so I do believe that seriousness can be sumptuousness. Mm. Mm. So the, the other interesting thing, and you, you touched on it again there, is less, the, the thinking is applying the, the, the lens or um, the dimension of time and by time i mean childhood to adulthood so when you think of you know whether it's your childhood or in general it's not all that serious like like let's let's just you know all give it an all things considered like if you're living in an unsafe or an unstable environment then that's very very um, much separate to what we're trying to um contend with here so let's just try and like agree on like a normal setting where in a typical childhood environment there's not a lot of seriousness. There's mostly play. And I would say, uh, and, and this is what Zat actually touches on um, in the article that we are referring to in this podcast, is that... It was the um, stimulus. We are basically not talking about anything to do in the article. If you're <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like to try and like see if there's any way that you can you can hook it back in. So basically what I'm getting at is that like in, your, in childhood, it seems like there's not a lot of responsibility. There's, um, there's a lot more opportunity for fun and play. And so what the, um, the, the proposition here is that as you start to get older and you take on more responsibility, um, seriousness seems to be this... this this lever of becoming mature. And I thought it's really interesting because you, Duncan, I think is a great <laughs> uh, uh, test bed of you know this particular thing because I consider you to be someone who for a very long time kept seriousness and play very much separate. Like I think for you, like I remember, you know, coming over and, um, you know, playing with you on the weekend, it was all fun. There was not a lot of seriousness at all. But when you know, you and I got much older in our young twenties. I would see 
almost the extremes of like there would be serious Duncan in work mode and there would be fun Duncan in play mode. And I mm. now see this starting to coalesce back together as, you know, mm. these two are not exclusive of each other. So I just really thought um, it would be interesting to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I wrote a blog on, on Cloud Streaks called Serious with a Smile. Um, Sh- so I suppose I, when, <laughs> when, when I was younger, um, post uni, I was very ambitious. But what I mean, I just wanted to get my career going. I was like hell-bent on getting it started. Um, so at the time, I was indoctrinated into the standard story, which is that I must find a wife and I must have children, and that typically the male is the provider. Um, and so I assumed that I would be in the provider role, not necessarily the sort of staying-at-home role. And so I, I was like, hardcore, invest in your career so that it's off to a start, so that by the time you're whatever, 35, you know, your ducks are in a row and you're not like no, going nowhere, right? So you can, you can provide. And you, you, so to me... Early 20s, I was like, I'm going to get this show rolling right now. And I don't have a mortgage and I don't have kids. So I can afford to work very hard hours-wise. And I almost felt that it was criminal not to. I was like, imagine if you got to 35 and you looked back and I, you're like, yeah, I didn't work hard. I just faffed about the place. I was like, no, 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 no friggin' way. I was like, go as hard as you can. <laughs> uh, it's like, push, push. Um, and I, I think that I was so, I was like make, trying to make sure that things got going, if that makes sense. And I don't think I didn't laugh, but I didn't necessarily proactively try to smile or make time to laugh. And then I got to the weekend, and I didn't work all hours of all days, but I worked pretty hectic hours like Monday to Friday. Um, and then it was like, ah, laughing, you know. And I suppose if, if, you look, if you look at my life now, there's a more melding. So I do try to have like five days a week of purpose, one day a week of play, one day a week of peace. But the t- like I also try to smile and have fun at work. And part of my having fun, like one of my major play activities is talking – S-H-I-T, with your mates, right? Um, but now, a lot of it is this. Like this podcast, James and I laugh, you know? I would call this play, point blank, right? Um, or we'll be having a little laugh about something to do with, you know, politics. You know, I didn't know anything about politics when I was 20. It, it wasn't possible. Maybe we're just talking about, I don't know, gossiping about relationships, something, something. That is never, ever a topic of conversation now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so... It's funny, like my play now is it's got what I think I would have considered 20 or Duncan some serious in it, but it's like, whatever, 75%, you know, smiling, 25% serious and work is now 75% serious, 25% smiling. But before it used to be more like 90, 10 each way or, or 100, zero. <laughs> um, and to me, both are fun. Both provide me with happiness. There's a totally different type of happiness. And I mm-hmm. don't want to do either type of happiness, serious happiness all the time, silliness happiness all the time. And I don't want to be a monk and go and live in a monastery and just meditate all day. Sounds like a mm. god-awful existence. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but So what they would say is that, you know, what seriousness provides a lot of people is this idea of control. And you, you apply that in the sense that, well, for you, Duncan, it allows you to control at least, I think, in your view, your outcome, which is I didn't want to wake up when I was 35 and look back on my life and um, you know, realize I didn't work hard enough because then I wouldn't be able to provide for my super hot wife and my mortgage that I was working towards. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, but like you know, I'm not I'm not trying to say that um, you know you were scared or anything, but it did seem like that there was this thing driving you, um, and you were very serious about it because it it was like well. It's important because I've been indoctrinated into this thinking that if I don't have my ducks in a row, I'm going to wind up in a position where, like, I'm screwed. I'm not going to be happy. And so it, it was a tool that you, you harness, I would say, to the freaking nth degree. Mm. But, you know, it worked. It gave you that drive to just push, 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 push. And yeah. I think what's kind of happened since then is you woke up one day and you're like, hold on, like, you know, this thing at the end of the um, the yellow brick road that I've been sold might not actually be what I want. And I thought it's interesting that when you came to the realization of like, I can choose what I want out of life, was around the same time where you started to become a lot less serious in your work. Mm. And so it, it to me seems like that you can be psychologically safe. You can be someone who will never fall through the cracks because you'll always have a safety net or you'll always have a good a network of friends and family, but you can still kind of like, even if subconsciously, have this program running in your head that if you're not serious about your own life, if you don't work hard every day, then you know you'll end up you know in a position where it's not necessarily 
unrecoverable, but it's bad, bad outcome. Whereas now it's kind of like there's a lightness to thinking I can decide what I want for myself out of life. And by realizing that it gives you the power to relinquish the need for control and mm. to enjoy, I think, the process a lot more. Did that, did that resonate at all? Yeah, I think I said this earlier. Um, well, now we talk about another framework we were talking about, Keegan's theory of moral development. Uh, Keegan oh, is yeah. a Harvard developmental psychologist. Um, and so the vast majority of adults are socialized mind. Uh, then there is self-authoring, then there's self-transforming. Self-transforming is 1% of society, according to his studies. And that these are the people that make their own values and actually make the values of society that change over time. And that socialized minds don't know they're socialized, believe they have their own values, but don't. They're actually just parroting what others have said. I would say that I was 100% socialized mind when you're 20. And he doesn't think you're born this way. You slowly can develop. The only way you get mm. to self-transforming is through slowly building yourself. It's not like mm. someone was born at that 1% and others weren't. Everyone's born without able to speak or anything. And you have to go through the socialized mind stage to the self-authoring stage to the self-transforming stage. Mm. And so I think ignorance is not knowing that you don't know, right? So <laughs> if you think you're ignorant, you're not ignorant, Right. I didn't think I was ignorant. In, in classic, you know, young people, you know, the sort of the innocence of youth, also known as know nothing, think you know everything, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and so to me, um, I started reading philosophy a lot starting 25. And I think that was really started of the first point. I started to question some of the, ser the main stories in life, that I must get married as an example, that I must have children as an example. And nothing against it. I just don't think that I necessarily need to, nor that people need to, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you look at it, all else equal, the more educated people are, the less children they have, or the children at all, marriage, right? So they're, they're more self-authoring or self making their own story rather than writing the story. Mm. Uh, and so yeah, if you've had more time to think and to build your own thoughts, then you typically <laughs> are doing more of your own thing, right? Um, and so I suppose looking at this, again, Maslow's, the bottom part, there is an answer. There's enough food so you don't starve and hopefully healthy food, right? Shelter, you know, enough police and jails and, and laws so that people don't go around committing crimes all the time, right? But the top parts... Um, aren't easily solvable with money. Um, I think the top parts, you need to solve yourself. It, you can't vote for politician Y and they will solve it for you, right? They can create the conditions upon which it's possible to be solved, i.e. the bottom parts of the hierarchy of need need to be in place for you to be able to do the top parts. But slowly it goes from, well, externally they can fix it to the top where you have to do it yourself. And maybe this is Peterson's point of responsibility. I think that certain people are protesting to fix the bottom parts of Maslow's hierarchy of need in the US and they have a fair, valuable point for their protests and that that is there. But then the, the top part, you need to take on responsibility, I think. And so to me, I think part of the fun of life is that the best parts, the top parts, that you know how to figure out purpose and to slowly evolve that, how to figure out how to grow yourself, how to help others, are always questions that you can ask every day and that you can never know the answer to. Um, and that slowly get better because you make them better, not because mm. you've got a promotion or something, right? Mm. Um, and I feel lucky that I think I've been able to get into a place where I'm effectively in control of the top parts of myself. That mm. if it's not happening, it's because I didn't have it. So I you know, have started the company and I'm one of the, you know, sort of the, the CEOs. Um, and so I have extraordinary level of um, freedom, if that makes sense, to, to do that. I'm not like, oh, I'm stuck in my box when I worked at Google. You know, here's your job description and you're a very small cog and a very big machine. Like, I, you know, that's a much bigger machine than what Ed Rollo is. But mm. I make the machine, right? Whereas before, I was like, no, 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 no. This is, you're that cog. Do the cog thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so now I basically control the top part. Well, it's but, in my responsibility, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, sure, you have a lot more freedom, but you have an, an immense amount more responsibility as well. That comes with stress. that stress. Yeah, stress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can I can see the clock running out, and I just wanted to make sure that we covered um, the, the the flip side of this as well. Uh, and to me, that's the importance of play, mm -mm. because I think maybe it's not enough for us to try and figure out how can we minimize um, you know poorly executed seriousness, but okay, <laughs> how can we maximize play as well? Uh, and, I, and I think this is important and relevant to this conversation um, on a personal level because this is something I told you, Duncan, would have been, what, five years ago now? Um, that I didn't think you had enough play in your life. And yeah. I feel like that actually struck a chord with you. I think it did. Um, yeah. at the time, you, like, you were kind of like whether it was tunnel vision or, um, and to put your word, 
didn't realize that you didn't realize. But as soon as that kind of like switch was flipped, um, it created a lot more richness and enjoyment to your life, I would posit. Yeah, um, so th- yeah, thank you. James did say this. Um, and so I suppose hopefully as life goes on, you learn more, you know, go to bed a little wiser each day. And I think that I've been comfortable and I like it to feel like I'm living a good life for like, I don't know, quite a while, like, you know, at least maybe 10 years, right? But that each year I'll have major breakthroughs. And some of them, so any year you don't destroy a core belief is a year wasted. Some of them are not new things you figured out. Some of them are like, oh my God, we've been going exactly the wrong direction. You know, how long were you doing this for? Like, as long as you can recall, like, uh-oh, 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 you know? <laughs> um, and so to me, um, there, there was a point, you know, uh, I think startups start default dead. And then you've got to try to rage against the dying light to get them to be default alive. And so we were lucky to, to raise some money, have people take some, you know, f- uh, belief in us. Um, and I was going to be goddamned if I didn't try as hard as possible. Again, this was like eight years ago. Uh, and so I was, you know, late 20s again, uh, you know, no mortgage, no kids. I still hadn't really fully. So I don't think I necessarily want to have children. You know, nothing against children. I'm an uncle. It's great. You know, James has children. They're, they're great, etc. I just personally feel I need my own. And so I, I was like, I don't want to look back. And so sometimes it's the path of least regret. And be like, if I only worked harder, but I knew I didn't want to work that hard forever. Um, but there was a point, I think now it is default to life. Um, and that the modus operandi that was optimal in the early days is no longer the optimal modus operandi now. So mm. if you're thinking about it, it was just kind of like work as much as you can. If you don't work, nothing will. And that was needed to get out of default dead. But now if I was to continue to work that hard, I would be dead right? So what was needed to get out of default dead will kill me. Like that level of stress and work is simply unsustainable. Like literally like every minute you're awake for a couple of years, right? Yeah. Um, and so now trying to, to get that balance to get the long terms sort of happiness. And so I'm 36, I kind of like want to get to by the time I'm 40, something that is workable for the rest of my life. Uh, and I still, there's still too much work happening right now. It's still too much stress uh, for me anyway. All right, look, we've got to end this up. So, James, you want to do it um, because I've got a meeting. Uh, um, speaking of stress, uh, to um, Summary Town. Yeah. <laughs> summary Town. Okay, so yeah. uh, the topic is like on the seriousness of life. And I think we, we explored a, a few areas that were really, really interesting. But um, for me, it's this idea that plays on what is the utility of seriousness and how can we actually um, utilize it to help maximize the level of enjoyment we have. Um, and I thought your model of purpose, play, and peace, to, to go with the PPP, um, yeah. is, is a good model because what that does is to, it helps people, it helps to realize there isn't just one aspect which is like, look, you just need to find purpose or responsibility, adopt that, and that's your life. Um, you know, that would be more like, a, like some kind of martyr. Um, there is play and there is peace that comes with it as well, but happiness and enjoyment underpins all of that and so where did the seriousness come from well we could we discussed that a lot of it can possibly be derived from this sense of fear and control because for a large part of history and for a lot of people still today they still exist at the bottom of the um the hierarchy of needs in this this state of survival or um uh, insecure safety Uh, and so there is still a lot of prevalent um levels of seriousness that has a role to play but i think once you get beyond that and i think what you just described there duncan which is look for a long time i was like in the trenches with my business and i had to work every waking hour to get it default alive but there is an inflection point where we got to be able to lift our heads up realize we're no longer in that state anymore and readjust and say okay now that i've gotten this to this point where either myself and my life um and my livelihood is default alive or my business in your example i can now actually start to think about how do i want to shift my um you know my way of thinking my way of being into one that integrates more playfulness uh, and more fun in my life yeah hmm. summary from me a life without seriousness is frivol- seriousness is frivolousness a life with only seriousness is silliness uh so t- to me um the purpose of a job initially was to not have a job. It was to retire, right? So yeah. your the solution to your problem, the problem was the solution, right? <laughs> um, so to me, I, I think done well, if you have the bottom parts of Maslow's hierarchy to look after, purpose can lead to happiness. It's a different type of happiness. Um, 
And to me, um, everything worth caring about unbalances your life, they say. You're not talking about work-life balance, you're talking about work-life harmony. Um, and then I, I used to find, you know, peace doing nothing super easy because there wasn't really much that I felt compelled to do. I had to force myself to do uni. It wasn't like, oh my God, what do you want to do uni work? It's like, hell no, this is boring as hell, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Whereas now, um, work is not just interesting, but there is time pressure. There is financial pressure. And so it, what was hard initially doing uni work is now easy doing work. And what was easy doing nothing, peace, is now hard because of these things. And I'm trying to get this balance. Uh, so um, the shape of my life has shifted. Um, and I, I think there's this the seriousness, okay, where I can find purpose and, and care is good. But I need to kind of lower the sort of like intensity or some of the stress stresses in that, which leaves me with a better sort of environment to be able to do peace well. Play is sort of easier. It's just, or well, the main play thing I'll have is like go and hang out with mates and just talk, you know, crap. Um, or it'll be like go for a swim at the beach or it'll be, you know, whatever, go to a bouldering gym or something, right? Um, so I've got plenty of acti- uh, fun activities or play activities, but the peace one of doing nothing um, for me is the hardest of the purpose, play and peace. Peace is the hardest for me at the current time. And this is one of my major goals for 2021 is to try to get the macro pieces in place so that there's no sort of songs playing called worry about this, get that done all day, every day, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and that they allow peace to be easy, you know, effortless, as opposed to being fight it, meditation, you know, do this, let go, worry about that on Monday. This is not the day to worry about this. You know, to me, um, they they need to worry about it. something needs to happen. <laughs> like do, doing nothing is not tenable, right? But yep. you don't need to worry about it on Sunday, dickhead. Uh, so, so I need to get better at that. All right, dude, I got to roll. This has been great. Um, 10 out of 10. Uh, <laughs> let's so much through this. It was developing ideas and other things. Um, we promised to do this more often, uh, <laughs> as opposed to the end of last year, which was just a rollicking S show. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we started the year off with quality. Let's try and make <laughs> it up with quantity. <laughs> Good one, dude. All right. Catch you up. Bye. Cheers. Bye.